1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 166 of the podcast, 166, and today we're going to be talking about fly fishing rituals. But before we get to that, I have a couple of quick things I just want to mention. The first is something that I've been a part of for the last few months, and that is Waypoint, the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, is part of Waypoint. What is Waypoint? Well, if you go to waypoint.tv, you will see a full scope of the offerings that Waypoint has to offer. There are hunting and fishing and fly fishing and hiking and homesteading resources. Everything from podcasts to TV shows to educational resources and films. You can also get the app on the Apple Store or or through android uh, it's it's an, an amazing amount of stuff and even as part of it i've only waded through a few portions of everything that waypoint has to offer so i definitely recommend that to you secondly and i'll keep this very brief uh, if you have a moment head over to apple podcasts and leave a rating and a review about the casting Cross fly fishing podcast i would greatly appreciate that all right 166 Rituals, fly fishing rituals. So fly fishing goes back centuries. And so there are so many rituals that have accumulated into our collective consciousness of when we go fly fishing. But what I'm really more concerned about and what I'm thinking about in this podcast today are those rituals that you might have or you and your fishing buddies or you and the folks that are at your trout camp that you engage in uh, week after week, year after year. And I'll tell you why I've been thinking about this. I read an article yesterday um, from Meat Eater. So Meat Eater, if you're not familiar with that, you, you should be. Uh, great resource. Steve Ranella, who you maybe know from the Meat Eater uh, TV show, um, which is on Netflix these days. But great hunting and fishing uh, content on there also. So uh, this was an article that again came out yesterday from when this is being recorded called The Post-Kill Traditions of North American Hunters. The Post-Kill Traditions of North American Hunters by a gent named... Patrick Durkin. Uh, great article. Nice long article. Uh, great little header image of a guy holding a bleeding, uh, what I presume to be, deer heart um, on the front of it. And I'll, I'll put a link to this article on the show notes of this podcast page on Casting Across. Uh, but it's a great look at how there aren't a lot of. Of hunting rituals and traditions that we have in the United States, especially compared to places like Europe, where we really inherit a lot of our hunting methodology and, and heritage, where they have a rich history of hunting traditions, um, but we really haven't uh, adopted many of those. Um, and so it's interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time just rehashing what's in this article because again, I encourage you to go read it, but. Uh, he, uh, he, he mentions things that people that are traditional uh, uh, rituals that have been done that people are, are, are falling out of favor with today. I just want to read these because some of them are quite amusing. Uh, first, drinking alcohol uh, with and without toasts or celebrations, which I can't imagine people don't like that but uh, blooding a successful hunter's face ranging from streaks to full facials and this is where you know you you go to the kill and as you're getting it you put some of that blood on uh, the, the hunter's face, especially if they are a first-time hunter, which, again, for, for somebody who, who doesn't appreciate where that comes from and how that's been done before, um, it certainly seems barbaric, and you, you might not be a fan of it if, you, if you, it's being done to you unwillingly. Uh, eating the animal's raw or cooked heart, liver or tenderloins. Now, that one, I really can't wrap my head around. Like Who would have a problem with eating a cooked piece of meat? You might say, oh, it's it's, it's the heart. It's, it's meat. It's all it is is meat. It's a different part of meat. That That's something that I've never understood. Like someone who says, oh, you know, I could never eat a, a, a pig's foot. Well, do you eat pig's shoulder? You know, do you eat ribs? How is that any different, better, or worse? You say, oh, well, it was on its foot. Well, it's cleaned. You know, where's ham? Ham is its rear end. So if you have a problem with, with you know, the, the, the location of meat, uh, before you eat it, then, then you got a lot of, a lot of problems. All right. Anyway, um, giving silent or audible thanks, tributes or prayers sometimes while kneeling. Uh, yeah, hopefully you're not praying to an animal. Uh, number five, this one's interesting. Hanging, uh, a buck's genitals, uh, from a branch near the gut pile. I don't know much about this. I haven't researched it. I'm a little afraid of Googling it and, and seeing what happens. But those are five examples of things that people are um, are are uncomfortable with uh, when it comes to hunting traditions that have carried over from from the old world. Um, but I think there's a lot more potential for traditions and rituals in hunting than there is for fishing. And I think because you you can be done, you know, if, if you get that animal in the middle of the day, then then. The shift in focus goes from looking for the animal to to processing the animal. Um, the 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 shift in the whole camp once people limit out goes from um, grinding away and trying to 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 fill your your tags to enjoying the fact that you have filled your tags. Um, fishing, especially fly fishing, with with the catch and release ethos that has really permeated fly fishing for the last few generations. You, you lose some of that, and I'm not advocating that we start killing fish just so that we can have fun things to do, some traditions and things like that. I just think that hunting lends itself more to some of these rituals, and also just the, the nature of the game that you're pursuing, the quarry being much larger, uh, the, the core being quarry being something that can sustain not just you and your family for one meal, but for multiple meals, for maybe even a season. Um, there's there's a a greater um, kind of release once you've you've felled that elk or something like that uh, than compared to when you catch four or five brook trout. Still, we have angling rituals and angling traditions. I've known people who've thrown the first fish back, even if they're fishing. Well, not even if because they're they're meat fishers. They still throw the first fish back of the fishing trip or of the season as a way of saying thank you you might say well if you throw one back but you keep a couple dozen over the course of a week then what good are you doing again i'm that the the, the purpose of of this conversation isn't about uh, catch and release or conservation or things like that it's, it's about rituals and and i can appreciate that that's somebody who says i'm going to catch my limit of fish every day i'm out but i'm going to throw this first one back this season as a way of of being appreciative towards the resource and and kind of showing that i enjoy the 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 Process of catching the fish as much as I enjoy the fish that I've caught and processing it, if that makes sense. Another ritual that I've never engaged in, but I have witnessed is opening day. <laughs> opening day is is quite the the ritual for a lot of people. And where I lived in Pennsylvania, and I lived on a couple of incredibly popular and populated trout streams, and opening day was a real show. I mean, it was a circus. Uh, I I can't even begin to explain how many people were shoulder-to-shoulder around some of these ponds. Um, And then you get to a place where it was kind of cordoned off for children only, and it would would look so sparsely populated. And it was funny because, you know, people, you could tell, and people would... would Verbalize this: That oh, if they could only fish where those kids were fishing. It's not like the trout know or care. These trout just came out of the back of a hatchery truck like two days ago. They they're just going. They're they're going to be swimming at a frantic pace, dodging uh, little Cleos and uh, worms and uh, people stripping you know multiple streamers in front of their faces. But all that to say, again, not not to be critical. uh, This was a ritual. People would wake up really early. They would go and find their spot. they would camp out. They would, they would get everything set up. They would have their little, their their cooler and their their little stove and all that sort of stuff. And you know what? It, that's not my style of fishing. But for some people, that is exactly what they think of when they think of fishing in those places. And and that's their ritual. So of course you can you can kind of blow that out into something a little bit more romantic for for most fly fishers perspective. And that is you know opening up the cabin. You know, when does the spring trout season kick in the year? You go up that weekend, you get everything set, you get everything in place, you clean things out, you get rid of the mouse droppings. And all of those things that you do are then preparing you to actually get out and take your your you know your waders and your rod and your flies and go down to the, the stream and catch some fish, and then come back and, and uh, you know enjoy that experience you had on the water either by yourself or with the people that have have come with you um, in in that cabin, and I think that that's that's another thing, um, we've gotten away from the the uh, destination. Style angling, as you know, the, the the trout camp, or you know, the family cabin, um, and we've we've turned it more into going to you know a lodge or something like that. And so, when it's not yours, it, it's probably harder to develop those those kind of rituals. But that doesn't mean that we can't have rituals. That doesn't mean that we don't have rituals. I give you an, another great example. This is this is probably you know the most mundane thing you can think of, but this is this is m- my fly fishing ritual. So when I first started fly fishing, I was living in Northern Virginia and I was probably 14 years old. And so I couldn't drive and my friends that fly fish couldn't drive either. And so our parents would have to drive us. Um, Getting up early is something that's gotten easier as I've gotten older. But as a teenager, uh, getting up at five o'clock was not fun uh, at all. Getting up at six o'clock wasn't even that fun. Uh, But what made it better was the stop at Sheets, the stop at the gas station. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with Sheets, then you need to be, you need to acquaint yourself with with Sheets. And even though it was just a breakfast sandwich and a cup of gas station coffee, it, it was more than that. And Hopefully you can appreciate this. Hopefully you appreciate the value of a first cup of coffee in the morning, especially when it's early, when it's cold. But it was something to look forward to as you were waking up and groggily getting into the car. It was something to kind of, of, of wake you up as you were driving to the stream and then that big heavy sandwich was something that would sustain you uh, for for hours and hours on end because there's a good chance you weren't going to necessarily eat lunch. And so even though it was something simple, it was something that happened every time and it was something that had value and it, it increased the 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 enjoyment of of the day fishing. And I would say that's something that has continued on to this day where I rarely make myself a cup of coffee before I, I go fishing. I usually buy it, and I usually stop someplace where I can get something to eat. And that might sound, again, unimpressive compared to some of the more elaborate fly fishing rituals that exist out there at some of these legacy uh, trout camps. But that's my fishing ritual, and it's something that I enjoy other people taking a part of when I take somebody fishing and they say, oh, do you want me to you know make something for us? And nope. Here's how we're gonna do it. This is how it's gonna go, and that translates into other types of fishing also. So if I am staying somewhere, if I am in a cabin or I'm in a lodge, then I need to make sure that if the kitchen is not open, that there's a coffee pot in the the um, in in my room so that I can have that. And it's an altered version of my normal fishing ritual. If I'm camping, then that is going to be a an essential part of my morning. I got my little um, little camp stove and my pot with my coffee grounds in it that I'll pour uh, through a filter into my uh, into my camp mug. That's just a, a a simple basic thing that I do every other day of the week. I drink coffee every day, but in doing it in that particular way in that moment, it again wakes me up and it gets me thinking about and prepares me for my time on the water. Now some other fishing rituals. Uh, one that I've never engaged in, but I've heard plenty of people talk about, and I've read about uh, through throughout a, a number of, of different books uh, on on fly fishing histories, is is camps or families that have a traveling rod. Um, I've been uh, acquainted with one traveling rod through a, a fly fishing club that I was a part of for a few years, but a a the ritual of having one piece of gear that is shared by multiple members not only is it a functional piece of gear but it's a a a rod that you know that your uncle fished with last year or maybe your grandpa fished with 15 years ago or your mentor that taught you how to fly fish he used it a couple years ago uh it's it's a again a a very simple thing but it holds a lot of meaning something else that's essential and you you have to do but it, it can be a ritual is is a meal I, I knew a buddy who, the first night at camp, was always kielbasa. It had to be kielbasa. Uh, I, I don't remember anything else that he made. I don't remember eating anything else, but I remember having kielbasa because that was the first thing that he would make when you went fishing. Kind of along those lines, I knew a, a, a guy who's uh, who had a, a fishing camp, and they had a bottle of port, uh, a bottle of port wine, that was. You know, 50 or 60 years old because it was his great grandfather's bottle of port wine. And you know, you find out how much these guys drank while they were fishing. And you think, how in the world did this thing survive this long? Well, it's because they'd refill it. But it was the, the idea that you were drinking out of the same bottle that your 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 father and your grandfather and your great grandfather uh, drank out of. And so that was for 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 them. That was a simple thing that they could do to stay connected with those that had come before them. And really, at the end of the day, that's so much of what ritual is about. It's a connection. It's a connection with other people. It's a connection with your previous experiences. And that stuff is good. I know there's plenty of anglers who are super hardcore and all they want to do is catch fish. They're not worried about the, the fluff. They're not worried about the extra stuff. That's not why they're into it. But I would say that that is the minority. The majority of us appreciate the, 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 the continuity between the um, the things like that morning cup of coffee and getting out on the water. We appreciate that continuity between uh, spending some time fishing, having varying levels of success, and then relaying those experiences to other people uh, around the campfire. That, those things um, actually improve the experience of being on the water. So you have a bad day, you don't catch fish, you fall in, you break a rod, but what can redeem that? What can redeem that is those other things that go along with it, those peripheral aspects to fly fishing that, that create this culture, and ritual is really a significant part of culture. So like I said, I don't feel like I have that remarkable of a catalog of fishing rituals that I engage in, but I'd be interested in in hearing what you do. If you do have a family uh camp that you've had for for generations and there's things that y'all have have adopted as being routine parts of your first week up, last week up, uh even just your your normal fishing time. If you and your fishing buddies have been going to the same lodge for for 10, 15, 20 years and you've got some some routines and rituals that you've fallen into. I think those stories are fantastic, so I'd love to explore this topic more, Um, again uh, it it was really kind of thought provoking to think about just how there are hunting rituals and there are fishing rituals, but we might not have them in the same way that perhaps our, our ancestors did 100 or 200 years ago or certainly before coming to the United States. So, if you have anything, please send it my way, Matthew at castingacross.com. Bare minimum, I'll get back to you and tell you how much I appreciate it, but we'll see. It might get included in a a podcast or an article or something coming up in the near future. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Fishing the Gray. Fishing the Gray. And. I refer to New England's uh, kind of winter and early spring as the gray season, which of course is followed by the mud season. But everything is just cold, even when we don't have snow, and we usually do have snow. Uh, things just get very gray, <laughs> and uh, especially in these really short days where it starts getting dark around three thirty, four o'clock, um, everything's just gray. And so the last thing that would make sense would be to go out and fish in conditions like that. However, there's good fishing to be had, and fishing is better than no fishing. Uh, I don't even want to call it bad fishing because bad fishing presupposes that uh, fishing is all about results. And we know that's not true. It, it, it's so much about the possibility of results. It, it's about the potential of, of catching something. But even more than that, it's about seeing things. It's about being on the water. It's about experiencing um, so much of what nature has, to, has for us. And I, I think, truth be told, so much of what we miss out on um, when it comes to appreciating the, the, the flow from season to season um, comes from not experiencing um, what's there in the winter. Uh, I think that, and this is kind of going beyond the scope of what this article talked about, but if you fish in the winter, you can appreciate um, why the rivers that you fish in the spring are the way that they are you understand tributaries better, you understand the, the, the flow conditions better, you understand what's going on in the stream banks better when there is no or little vegetation. And so uh, there's a lot of benefits outside of maybe catching a fish by going fishing in the winter. Plus, you're getting outside, and you're scratching that itch, and those things matter. The second article this week was called "Actually Fishing the Gray." So uh, the first article got a lot of of readership, and I, I'm always skeptical, like when when something just pops for whatever reason. Like, why did that get so many people's eyes on it? So I realize there's a n- number of rivers called like the Gray River or the River Gray uh, in in the world, and so part of me wonders if like somebody or a lot of people thought I was giving some. Uh, either um, narrative or how-to article on fishing their river or river they wanted to fish. So as kind of a a, a way to uh, uh, right any any wrong that I may have perpetrated, I wrote actually fishing the gray. And so there's this great little picture of this stream uh, in New England, and I write about how I would approach it, how I do approach it. Uh, When I come to a small, medium to small-sized stream where there's a lot of ice and there's snow, what is my approach, what is my tackle, um, what kind of cast am I going to make, what kind of flies are, are, are I, am I going to use, and so I go through all of those things on an article called Actually Fishing the Gray. Again, if you have been listening to the Casting Cross Fly Fishing Podcast, I just want to remind you that the website, castingacross.com has been around much longer. There's a lot more content. Um, Oftentimes what I talk about on the podcast is derivative from an article or articles that I've written on the podcast. So if you want a little bit more and you want it maybe in a more concise manner, uh, then I would encourage you to go to castingcross.com. If you want to know if there's something that's there, um, if you have an idea for something, please let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com, Love to hear it. This week's recommendation on the podcast is what I mentioned earlier. It is that article from Meat Eater. So um, Meat Eater, I, I enjoy the, the Meat Eater show. Again, Steve Rinella's show on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's just a good hunting show. Uh, there's times where he gets skunked. Um, he hunts. With with rifle, with shotgun, um, with black powder, with muzzleloader, with with um archery, um, he hunts all over the country. There's there's fishing, but what's great about this this show is that uh, oftentimes it shows some processing and cooking game, usually in the field, which I'm always impressed by. Just uh, I I know how like for me like making like bacon and eggs when I'm camping is work. So to to actually process an animal in the wild and then cook that and have it be as delicious looking as he does. It's always impressive for for me. Um, There's fishing content on there too, but uh, the website site, which is themeateater.com has so much good content uh, as I mentioned earlier, but I'll put this link to this, the post kill traditions of North American hunters article um, on the show notes for this page of castingacross.com so that you can, you can read it and you can, Maybe get disgusted, or you maybe get intrigued, um, but uh, bare minimum, you're going to be informed about parts of of hunting and outdoors life that you may not have been acquainted with prior to. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.